right, so at the uh, end of my sophomore year of high school, Brooke and I started talking. I think that's what, what y'all cool kids refer to it as. Nowadays, we started talking, which meant we'd sit next to each other at, at church like some of you are doing with the person you're talking to right now. We'd hang out on the weekends like with, with some groups. We would text a little bit. We were, we were talking, uh, but I started to, to really like her. And was like, you know, I think I, I want to date her. I want to make this official. I want her to, to be my girlfriend. Uh, but I knew her parents were, they were super involved here at Bell Shoals. They were very involved in her life. They weren't like hands-off parents who just let her do whatever. They're, they're pretty involved. So I felt like, you know what, I, I should probably run this idea by, by her dad first. So I set up this, this time for us to meet together. And listen, I was like, man, I am so mature I am so responsible. Like none of my friends talk to their to their girlfriends' dads. Like I'm not even asking to get married. I'm just asking to date her. But look at me being so mature, so responsible. I'm feeling real confident. We meet up together, and I'm like, I got this in the bag. It's a no-brainer. I'm about to earn some huge bonus points with this guy. So I said, Hey, Todd. I didn't call. I said, Mr. Allen. You know, I kind of like your daughter, and uh, would would like to 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 date her. Uh, would, would that be okay? And, and do you know how, how he responded? No. You may not date my daughter. You can't date her. She can't ride in your car. And you can't touch her. And I was like, well, okay. This is not how I saw this conversation going. And, of course, in my head I'm thinking, all right, this is over. This clearly is not going to happen. But at the end of the conversation, he extended this invitation. He said, here's what I will, will allow, though. You are more than welcome to come over, hang out with our family whenever you want. It'll give us a chance to get to know you. You can spend some, some time with Brooke. And, and obviously, I didn't love the response. It's not really what I was looking for, but I really liked her, so, so I agreed to it. And girls, let me just tell you this. If the guy you like isn't willing to jump through any hoops for you, He's probably not that into you. Like my, my father-in-law, future father-in-law, was putting some hoops, and I'm like, I'll jump through those. I like this girl. So the first time they invited me over was for 4th of July, a little, little holiday action. So I remember super nervous going over there. First time being around them. I want to make a good impression. I want them to like me. I don't want this to go bad, and I'm really nervous. But I get there, and, and they're so welcoming. Like, they were, they were super friendly. It wasn't weird. They had some other friends over, so it wasn't, it wasn't awkward. They cooked some killer food that night. Man, steak and salmon. I'm like, okay, I, I can see this going somewhere. I like this kind of family. And they had bought some, some legit fireworks for, for that night. The night was going, was going awesome. Until we went outside for the fireworks. So one of the people there that night was one of our friends. Brooke and I was a mutual friend, this guy named, named Taylor. And Taylor was always a little bit crazy. He still is a little bit crazy, like tattoos, motorcycles, jumping out of airplanes. That's kind of his deal. He likes to, to push the boundaries. He likes to, to, to break the rules. And he thought it would be a good idea to take all of these fireworks were out in the, in the street and point them down towards the, towards the cement and, and to like them. And I'm like, sure, that would that, be fun. So we're all kind of hanging around. And, and he lights them. And, and listen, these aren't smoke bombs and sparklers. These are legit fireworks. They're pointed down in the ground. I think in our head we thought they were just going to like explode up. I don't, I don't know what we thought. He lights it. But as soon as he lights it, we realize, man, this is not going to be good. 
when the fuse is done, rather than it just like exploding upward, the fireworks start shooting out in all the directions to the side. Like they just start going. And, and I see a firework. It's coming towards me. Brooke is behind me. I turn around. She's standing here. Rather than grabbing her hand and, and running, I turn around. She's in my way. I do one of these. Knock her, knock her on the ground, and I run for cover. And you might be thinking, like, what a jerk, what a, what a loser. Listen, when your life is at risk, it's every man for himself. You have to run for cover. I don't care who is in your way. All right? Yeah, make some noise for that. Make some noise for that. Listen, this May, this May we're celebrating seven years of marriage. So I think I might have found a key to a lasting relationship. Now, I am pretty confident, pretty confident, I might be wrong, that none of you have never have ever knocked over the person you like on your first date in front of their parents. That's probably not happened to any of you. You've probably never made that bad of a first impression. But my guess is that you probably have run away from something that, that, that you were afraid of, something that scared you, something that you thought was going to hurt you, maybe a snake, maybe a spider, maybe some like vicious dog. You ran away from something you were afraid of. Or you ran away from something that was uncomfortable, like a, a weird person or a weird conversation. You, you ran from that. We all run away from things that we want to avoid, things that make us ever run, things that we're, we're scared of. But here's what I wonder tonight. Have you ever run from God? Have you ever tried to hide from God? Have you ever resisted God? Have you ever tried to avoid him? Have you ever run from God? Tonight we are beginning a new teaching series going through the book of Jonah. And for those of you who've grown up in church, Jonah I'm sure is somebody that you've, you've heard about, you're familiar with. And I just want to encourage you to, to come into this series not with this idea of I've heard this story a million times, I don't have anything to learn but really coming in with, with this, the, a lens of, and a willingness to say, man, I want to see this new. I want to hear what God has to say to me. But for those of you who are kind of new to church or you didn't grow up in church, this story may be brand new to you. You may have never heard it before. And before we jump into it, I just want to give you a heads up. This story sounds completely ridiculous and made up. I just want to acknowledge it. Like, this story sounds absurd. It doesn't sound like it could possibly be true. But here's why I believe the story of Jonah. I believe the story of Jonah because Jesus did. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about this very story, the story of Jonah. He doesn't talk about it like it's some made-up fairy tale, like it's some make-believe thing. He talks about it as if it was an actual historical event. Jesus believed the story of Jonah was true. And here's why I take what Jesus says seriously. It's, it's very simple. Because Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off. And I don't know about you, but if somebody says, hey, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to come back to life, and then they actually do that, I kind of just listen to whatever they have to say. I want to have the same view of the story of Jonah that Jesus did. And Jesus believed it was a real, true, actual story. So just keep that in mind as we jump into this story because it gets a bit crazy. 
So in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it's going to be on the screen behind me. It says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So the book of Jonah, it starts off fast. There's not really much of an introduction. God comes to to Jonah. He says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it because it's completely out of control. We're not told exactly what is going on there, but it must have been pretty bad for God to be sending Jonah. And it's important for you to know that Jonah was a prophet. And a prophet was somebody who would relay a message to the ever good news from, from God. But here's the thing. Their message was never good news. It was always bad news. It was always them declaring God's judgment against a group of people. Like being a prophet was not a fun job. Like little Jonah in his kindergarten class when they're like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? He was not saying, hey, I want to be a prophet. I want to be a prophet when I grow up. Like nobody liked prophets. They didn't have a whole lot of friends. It's not something that people just willingly volunteer to do. It's something that God called people to do. Jonah is his prophet, and God is saying, I need you to go to Nineveh, and I need you to preach against them. But listen to how Jonah responds in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. Say, say Tarshish. It's not a hard word to, to say. It just feel, feels weird. It does not feel natural. He headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah, he gets this message from God, and and what does Jonah do? He says, nah, I'm good. I have no interest in obeying you. I don't plan on going to Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? He runs away. Jonah gets on a ship, and he leaves the country. He flees. And he goes to the furthest possible place that he could think of. Now, I'm sure that Jonah didn't literally think he could run away from God. I mean, it's not that like Jonah thought, I'm I'm so fast, I'm going to beat God in a race. Or I'm going to leave and God's not going to know where I am. But I think what Jonah was hoping was, if I leave, God's going to have to find somebody else. Like if I'm in another country, he's going to have to ask somebody else to go. Jonah's hoping that he can avoid God's command if he runs far enough away. But look what God does next. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors, they were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So how does God respond to Jonah? Does he just let it slide? Does he just forget about it? No, God goes after Jonah. And he's not subtle about it. He sends a storm against the ship that he's on. And this isn't some Florida afternoon rainstorm in the summer. Like this is a hurricane that he's sending against the ship. Sailors who live on ships for a living, they do this for a living, they're terrified. Like, they've never seen a storm like this before. They think they're going to die. And they're doing whatever they can to try to save their lives. They're throwing valuable cargo overboard. They're calling out to any God that they can think of. And what is Jonah doing? 
He's just chilling. He's taking a nap. He, he's not even aware of what's going on. And verse 6 says this. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. He wakes Jonah up. He says, what are you doing? Like, how could you possibly be sleeping right now? We're about to die and we're running out of options. We can't think of anything else to do. We need you to call out to your God, whoever that God is, and maybe he'll save us. We're running out of options. Verse 7. Then the sailors, they said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and lots fell to Jonah. So they started asking these questions. They say, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They start to interrogate him. Like, what, what did you do? What did you bring against us? Listen to how he responds in verse 9. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry. He knew he was This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. They find out Jonah is the reason for this storm, that God is trying to get his attention. And like, what what do we do? How do we stop this? And Jonah owns it. He says, look, this is all my fault. And the only way that you're going to be saved, the only way that this is going to stop is if you throw me overboard. That's the only way you're going to be saved. And look what happens in verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. They didn't want to kill Jonah. They didn't just just want to throw him overboard. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, you've done as you've pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they vowed trying to run. So Jonah, he gives up. He stops trying to run from God and he's thrown overboard. He's thrown over the ship and immediately the the sea goes calm. The storm disappears. God relents. And these sailors recognize, wow, Jonah's God, he's the one true God. Jonah's God is in control of nature. Jonah's God is the God that we need to worship. You know, I think that Jonah's story is a picture of the way that many of us live our lives. When God commands us or leads us to do something and, and we don't like it or we don't understand it or it scares us or it makes us uncomfortable, there's this temptation for us to run just like Jonah did. There's this temptation for us to resist God and to try to avoid him. Now, most of us, we're not going to get on a plane and fly to another country like Jonah did. We're not actually going to try to run physically. But here's what running from God may look like in your life. It looks like pulling away from from church. Where you know that God is trying to lead you, God is trying to to work on something in your life, and you don't really want to hear it. So what you do is you start to pull away from church. 
you skip a Wednesday, a couple months, you start to, you skip a Sunday, then it becomes two weeks, then it becomes a month, then it becomes a couple months, you start to pull away from church because you don't want to hear what God has to say. Running from God might look like distancing yourself from other believers. You know, those friends in your life who would call you out on on what's going on, those leaders at church who would speak truth into your life, you know what they would probably say, and you start to distance yourself from them. Running from God might look like ignoring conviction in your life. The Holy Spirit, he's he's working on something. He's convicting you of something, and you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to give it up, so you push that conviction down. You try to ignore it. Running from God looks like cutting prayer and scripture out of your life. You don't want to hear what God has to say. You don't want to communicate to God, so you cut out these methods of talking to God, of hearing to God. You may not physically be running from God like Jonah was, but you're spiritually running. You're trying to drown out the voice of God in your life. So for the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I want to look at three takeaways from Jonah's story. And they all revolve around, center around this idea of running from God. The first one is this. There are consequences. Existed God, and when he ran from him, there were consequences. God didn't just let it slide God didn't just overlook it. God didn't just forget about it. No, he sent a storm after Jonah. God disciplined him for his disobedience. Jonah had to deal with the consequences for resisting God's will and his life. And you see, the same is true in your life and my life. When we are living in active disobedience, when we are resisting God and trying to to push back against him, there will be consequences in our life. Sometimes those consequences are very obvious. Sometimes they're, they're very subtle. But God disciplines us when we disobey him. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And then catch this. But God's discipline, it's for our good. In order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, it says that God disciplines the people that he loves. God disciplines those that are children. And God's discipline, it's not coming from a place of anger and frustration. God's not trying to punish you. God's not trying to to get back at you. No, it says he disciplines us because he loves us. It's for our good. His discipline, it produces holiness in our life and righteousness and peace. You know, just over the the last couple of weeks, uh, Brooke and I have had to to start having conversations about what it's going to look like to discipline our sweet baby girl, Monroe. She's starting to uh, finally get to that age where she's developing a personality and she's starting to develop a, a bit of a, an attitude. Like she's able to tell us no if she doesn't want to do something. She's able to throw a bit of a temper tantrum if she doesn't get her, get her way. She's able to willingly and purposely dis, uh, disobey us now if, if she wants to. 
You know, it would be really easy to, to see that and just say, ah, it's not a big deal. She's just a, a little kid. She doesn't really understand. It's, it's kind of cute. It's kind of funny. It would be really easy to not deal with it. Like, I don't want to upset her. I don't, I don't want to make her cry. But listen, as her parents, it is our responsibility to discipline her. And it's not because we're angry at her. It's not because we're mad at her. It's not because we're trying to get back at her. But it's because we love her. It's for her good. You see, God disciplines us because he loves us. It's for our good. And students, let let me just give you this word of caution. I, 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 I want you to hear this. If you are actively disobeying God right now, if you are resisting God, if you are running from God, and you aren't experiencing any conviction over it, and you're not experiencing any consequences in your life because of your sin, then you might not have a relationship with God. Because scripture tells us God disciplines. God always disciplines those that he loves. God always disciplines and corrects and convicts his children. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are running from God, there will be consequences. God will discipline you because he loves you and it's for your good. The second takeaway is this, is that running from God is exhausting. You know, when God commands us to do something that we don't like or that we feel is uncomfortable or that scares us, we often think that the easier option is to just disobey God, to run and to avoid what he's asking us better. Running from God will make things easier. We think running from God will will make things better. But here's what you need to understand. Running from God is a race that you won't win. No matter how long you run, no matter how far you run, it is a race that is gonna leave you feeling exhausted and defeated. You know, I I have people in my life, people that I love, people that I care about who have been running from God for years. They've been pushing him away. They've been ignoring him. They've been trying to resist him because they think they know better. But let me tell you, it has not made their life better. It has not made their life easier. I mean, just look at Jonah. Jonah thought that running from God would solve his problems. Jonah thought that going to Nineveh or leaving and running rather than going to Nineveh would be easier. But all it did was make things worse. All it did was create more problems for his life. Listen, disobedience, it's a pathway to frustration, to disappointment, and to emptiness in your life. But obedience, obedience is a pathway to peace and to joy and to fulfillment. Listen, true freedom in life is not found by running from God. Many God, that freedom means I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do what I want. I don't, gonna, I don't want to listen to God. But students, true freedom is found through surrendering to God. That's where you will find peace. That's where you will find joy. That's where you will find fulfillment. Running from God is a race that you will never win. And all it will do is leave you exhausted and defeated. But here's the good news, our final takeaway. You can't outrun God's grace and God's love. 
You see, when Jonah's thrown overboard, you kind of just assume that's the end of his story. He's tried running, and he has failed miserably. He's been left over the ship to drown. He's been left all by himself. But look what happens next. This is where the story gets crazy. This is where it's kind of hard to believe what happens. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God provides this this fish to swallow Jonah and to keep him alive. And, And why does God do that? Because God is not done with Jonah. No matter how much Jonah has resisted, no matter how far he's finally gave up, when Jonah finally surrendered and stopped running, God stepped in to save him. You see this fish, it was an act of God's grace. It was an act of God's love. It was his deliverance. It was his salvation. And it may seem like a really weird way to save him. Like, a fish? Really? Like, why would God do that? But you see, God often uses the most unusual circumstances, the most unusual situations in our life to try to get our attention. God will do whatever it takes to bring you back to him. So as the band makes their their way back up, I want to address two ways that you may be running from God in your life. The first one is this. You may be running from God in terms of an area of obedience. Is there an area in your life where God has been calling you and leading you to obey him and you have been resisting him and running from him? Maybe because it scares you. Maybe because you know it's going to cost you something. Maybe because you don't fully understand it. But tonight, God is inviting you to trust him and to obey him. Your weekend, it's, it's quitting a sinful habit. How you spend your weekends, the language you use, what you're looking at on on your phone. God has been working on you. God has been convicting you. You've been resisting that conviction. Tonight, God is inviting you to finally trust him, to finally obey, to finally lay aside that that habit, that sin that's holding you down, that's holding you back. Maybe for you, it's, it's an unhealthy relationship. It's a relationship that you know doesn't honor God a relationship you know you have no business being in and God has been, been, been convicting you about it and you don't want to give it up because you know it's going to cost you something. It's easy, it's comfortable and tonight God is inviting you to trust him with that and to obey him. Maybe for you it's forgiving somebody that, that's hurt you. Friend or family member, they, they lied to you, they betrayed you. And you're carrying around this this bitterness, this this anger, this resentment. Tonight, God is inviting you to trust him with that, to obey him and to forgive. Maybe for you, it's sharing Jesus with a friend, a person in your class, that person on your sports team, that person at work. God has been prompting you over and over. Go, Go share about Jesus with them. Go invite them to church. And you're afraid that it's gonna be embarrassing that they might not like you. It's going to cost you something. And tonight God is saying, will you trust me with that? Will you stop resisting? Will you stop avoiding? Will you just obey me?
maybe for you, you're, you're getting ready to graduate high school or you're a college student and God has been working in your life and, and showing you that, man, he may be calling you into to full-time ministry. And for you, there's just so many uncertainties with that. Like, what would that look like? What would I do? I don't even know like what the, the next steps would be. And tonight God is saying, will you just trust me? Will you just obey? Will you just take that next step? Will you stop trying to run and to resist? Is there an area of obedience in your life that you've been resisting? Second thing is this, maybe you've been running from a relationship with God. Maybe you've been in church for years. Maybe this is all new to you, but for whatever reason you have been running from God, maybe you're, you're skeptical about God, you're not really sure about this whole God thing, or you're angry with God over the circumstances in your life. Maybe you're afraid of God, maybe you're, you're ashamed before God and you've tried ignoring him, you've tried pushing him away, you've tried avoiding him, but tonight God is trying to get your attention. Listen, regardless of how long you've been running, regardless of what you've done, God is still pursuing you and God is still chasing after you. And it's because he loves you and it's because he desires to have a relationship with you. And tonight, man, he's just inviting you to, to stop running, to rest, to surrender, and to enter into a relationship with him. With our heads bowed, eyes closed. You know, we're getting ready to, to sing a song here in a minute, a song that, that many of you know, and, and I love the lyrics in this song. It says this, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It runs after me. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. Students, you can't outrun God's grace and you can't outrun God's love. And tonight as we sing, tonight as we worship, I just want to invite you to respond to God however he's leading you. But tonight, his invitation to stop running, to stop resisting, and to surrender, to come back to your heavenly father. God, we thank you that you are a God that chases after us regardless of how long we run or how far we run, God, you left heaven to come after us, to die in our place, to defeat death, to make a way for us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for the students in here, God, who have been resisting, who've been running. Maybe it's an area of obedience in their life. Maybe it's to, to, to have a relationship with you tonight, God. Give them the courage, the boldness, the faith to respond to your invitation, to stop running, God, and to be embraced by your love and your grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.